So here we are, a little follow-on chat after the Man in Line on the 16th of January when we've been talking about Manx care issues. A number of texts and emails that we didn't get round to, so we're going to go through some of those now with our guest, Teresa Cope, the CEO of Manx Care, Head of the Ambulance Service, Will Bellamy, Dr Gareth Davies, who's a consultant in urgent and emergency care and the clinical director for medicine, and Dr Ishaku Pam. Um, Dr Pam, I haven't written down your your title. It's clinical director for medicine. Wonderful. Consultant physician. Um, just had a, a conversation with several people, Teresa Cope, on the man in line, and I suppose, as expected, a number of concerns raised. How typical would you say they are in how people view the issues facing Manx Care? Um, I think they are quite typical, but I think one of the um, sort of the concerns I still have is that. Um, there's a perception that Manx Care is is some form of uh, commercial organisation run by people off island, and you know that isn't the case. We we are at arm's length from government, um, but we are controlled by the Department of Health and Social Care. Uh, so we are funded by government. Uh, we're not commercially funded. Um, so all of our the money that we receive into Manx Care is uh, is funding patient care. That leads us on to one of the questions that we didn't get round to to answering during the programme. And this is from a texter ending 600 who says, Who is Manx Care? How did they get here? I have not given permission for my own medical records to be shared and I'm not happy at the way the DHSC has in any event sold personal information to another source. Is this not a large-scale breach of our data which is meant to be protected? Um, no. So, so Manx Care came about as a result of Sir Jonathan Michael's recommendations published in 2019, which essentially said that Department of Health and Social Care had too big a remit. So it had responsibility for setting policy, legislation, strategy, uh, whilst also the operational delivery of health and care. And those things are often at odds with each other. Um, It means neither function um, has the right amount of time and capacity put put towards it. So Sir Jonathan Michael's recommendation, which was unanimously supported by Tim Wald, uh, allowed for the Department of Health and Care to be uh, just dealing with policy, strategy and legislation and Manx Care set up as an arm's length organisation from government uh, to focus on the operational delivery of services. And that's where, you know, we've all been appointed by government officers to the Manx Care Board to, to run health and care serve services. So in terms of data, that data was owned by DHSC. Uh, transferred through to Manx Care, so there are no data breaches uh, in in that in that that respect. We report to government uh, through our through our mandate. I suppose it's difficult though for the public to understand this if they're not really versed in in this sort of language, isn't it? And what is maybe perceived is that another layer of bureaucracy has just been added: more people, more managers, more money that isn't directed at primary care. How would you react to that? So I think it was quite transparent um, through the um, through through Manx Care being established what it was going to cost, but fundamentally it was perceived um, by the Council of Ministers and by Tim Wald as whatever 
Additional costs were going to be incurred by setting up a new arm's length organisation were worth the benefits of being able to have an organisation with a different uh, group of executive directors and non-executive directors governing the delivery of health and care and being able to uh, do all the necessary improvements and transformation, whilst also meaning there was dedicated capacity within the Department of Health and Social Care able to move forward the significant amount of legislation and reform uh, to make our health and care services fit for purpose going forward. Something I wanted to ask you about during the programme, um, but we didn't get round to it, is some of the administration issues which have been highlighted by members of the public. Um, people getting letters on the day that their appointments are actually due or not getting uh, letters at all, etc. And I suppose people want to know why the basics aren't really being sorted out and so much money is being in- invested in this, in this change. Um, what's going wrong? Yeah, I think the transformation program has identified that there has there is an awful lot of improvement required across all of health and care, and that started with the twenty six recommendations from Sir Jonathan Michael, which were very broad ranging, both from the sort of administrative and back office functions to the functioning of public health to um, to how we create a contemporary health and care system. Um, We've obviously then subsequently had uh, the Care Quality Commission come in and regulate us. And, you know, I think the reality is uh, we have some excellent clinical services and uh, but we also have a number of areas where we, we really need to prove and, and we've act- acknowledged that. Um, I completely acknowledge that some of our administrative processes are are quite outdated. Um, they do need to be modernised and improved and, and that is part of the programme of, of, of work. But we've had to... As a new organisation, working in collaboration with Department of Health and Social Care, really prioritise where we uh, place our efforts. And, um, you know, we're just coming up to our two-year anniversary. We we have an annual report. We have some very clear baselines now, aided by the CQC inspections across all matters, whether that's around our, our clinical provision, um, our, our, our risk assessments, um, our... Uh, workforce capacity, everything um, f- as, a, as a basis from which we then can improve. Uh, before we go back to the texts and emails that we received during the programme, Dr Pam, I just want to come to you. Um, and really, as it was a phrase I used during the show, it was bed blockers, and that's one that you're not very keen on. No, absolutely not. It's a term that we would want to eliminate uh, totally from our vocabulary uh, in healthcare because it discriminates against Older people in particular, people who are stuck in beds, often or almost always due to no fault of theirs. If you look deep enough into it, it's often due to lack of provision in the community in terms of um, you know what they need to go uh, out of hospital. So, for example, uh, packages of care, availability of care homes, availability of um, EMI, which is for the elderly mentally infirm, Um, And when it comes to disputes around funding, it's perhaps also because there is no agreement within society around how care homes are funded. So it's it's never, in my view, and the view of um, my colleagues, particularly uh, in geriatrics, it's never the fault of the individual. And so that term, uh, which places the fault essentially on the individual, is wrong. 
I guess then the natural question is whose responsibility is that to sort out? I think it's multifactorial. I think we have to start, as uh, as Dr Pam has highlighted, we start from a position as we aim to have patients in hospital of any age for the shortest amount of time. And what we have to do as a system, and this is what Manx Care is doing, is ensuring we have the right level of provision across the entire system. So both in hospital provision and out hospital provision, and also around our social care services. So our, our principles are around promoting independence and enabling people to uh, go home, to live well in their local communities and their own home as, as long as possible. And that is the, the, the bedrock of all of the transformation work that, that we are doing. The creation of the, uh, the wellbeing hubs, um, social prescribing, the reform around um, care homes and home care provision which really allows people to have choice and remain in their own home with a package of care. These are all pieces of work which sit under the transformation programme, which will effectively mean that over the next um, three to five years, our system will look quite different in terms of particularly the out-of-hospital offer um, in, in support of people remaining well. Will Bellamy. Thank you. I'm just picking up on Theresa's when... Um, comments around the out-of-hospital offer that also extends to the ambulance service you know since our beginning in 1994 of merger of Ramsey and Douglas ambulance services um, you know 20 percent of our activity is is people on the floor floor from falling and you know the ambulance service has been seen as a at the end of the patient journey of taking patients to hospital well actually if we pull that all the way back to the start at the start of the patient journey with you know developing our clinicians working with partners in the community that you know Teresa spoke about integrated care working collaboratively with our emergency um, care colleagues actually assessing diagnosing and trying to keep people in their own bed because that's the best bed is completely different changing that that model um, the, inverting the pyramid is, in a sense and that also extends to us in the ambulance service Okay, going back to some of our texts and emails that we didn't get round to in the show then Dr Gareth Davies, I think this might be one for mm-hmm. you uh, Last week I was sent to m- by my doctor to A&E for emergency bloods I had blood taken then sat for five hours until 7pm when I had to leave I saw no one, I went back the next day after five hours, still saw no one again and I had to leave, only to find the results had been sent to the GP If those blood results had been a certain way it would have been a medical emergency Luckily it wasn't yeah, well, I'm obviously very sorry that uh, um, that particular um, caller had uh, such a negative uh, experience. But uh, unfortunately, there is a finite uh, amount of time to, to pr- take bloods, uh, process those bloods, to get them to the labs, get the, the results back and have them reviewed. Um, I uh, obviously don't understand the particular issues involved in this particular case and obviously happy to deal with them outside of this uh, podcast but there is a a fundamental amount of time that it does take to take the uh, take the investigations and the consultation and that unfortunately is measured in hours it isn't measured in minutes something that we do seem to hear a lot is GPs seeing patients and then telling them if they don't get better that they need to present to ED how much of an issue is that um, I think it's probably not as great as people 
uh, might feel. Uh, of course, there, w there there may be occasions where that um, is the advice that is given to um, to the public, but it certainly doesn't represent one of the the major issues that w we see in terms of the the sort of tsunami of patients that comes our way. Um, that isn't uh, a major component of it, and I think it's very fair advice that uh, if it's fallen out with the, the, the capabilities of the, the GP, they're right to seek uh, secondary care. A comment from Nick, our care is better than England's and probably better than in Bangalore, but it's not good enough here. Um, message from Pete, I currently have a knee replacement joint which is breaking down, complete poly and metal erosion causing constant pain. I'm informed this can't be corrected on island by this off-island team. This is the Scottish team we were hearing mm. positive things about during the show. Why not? So it sounds like, and again, we're happy to take this offline, it sounds like this caller requires a revision of their um, joint replacement, which is a, a specialist procedure that we can't offer on Ireland. Um, so we have a contract with Wrightington, Wigan and Lee Hospital for those for those types of cases. Um, but I'm only surmising, so I'm happy to take this offline. Um, it isn't something we would do on Ireland, whether that's through the synaptic team or, or with our own team. Text to ending 753, why does Nobles refuse to send urgent cases straight away for off-island care unless imminent death is expected in the next 24 hours? Surely that's far too late, especially for deteriorating cases. They're made to wait for weeks. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not entirely sure about the specifics of the, the, the cases this, uh, that individual might uh, have come across but certainly we we do have many resources available to us to get people to very complex care across whether that is people who are having heart attacks mm. and they need stents or whether it is someone who's multiply injured and they need specialist brain surgery we have both a, a rotary wing helicopter uh, platform that we're trialing at the moment to get people literally uh, as quickly as possible, not even coming into Manx care, but actually taking them from the point of wounding directly to the major trauma centre, uh, which is uh, an in innovative project that uh, we've been trying to do work with the transformation process. But also we have our other fixed-wing air ambulance that, that me moves many hundreds of patients uh, across uh, in, in very patients that are very poorly that need very specialist services so yeah. actually we're very lucky that we d we are able to do that and it does happen on a nearly daily basis yeah so all of our um, pathways both in terms of responding to urgent and emergency care but also planned care um, all all our specialties have links with uh, UK tertiary centres for on ongoing care. Uh, we have multidisciplinary team arrangements. So um, if, if a patient remains um, here with us in Nobles or remains on the island, it will be because that has been agreed by the relevant specialties in the UK as well as our clinicians here. Um, and as, as, as Dr. Davis has just said, we have a range of methods for getting patients across to the UK for, for treatment, whether that's being the, the fixed wing aircraft that we have or whether that's the air ambulance that we, we have. Okay, another message here. There have been news reports on new or expanding health services. Surely health should concentrate on core services, especially when there are staff shortages. Yeah, I think that's 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 a fair point. And through our annual mandate process with the Department of Health and Social Care, we constantly reflect on ensuring we have 
um, comprehensive core services and we are spending our money in in the right way uh, on the right services but it is also really important to continue to expand services and look at where we need to deliver services different so for example you know we know uh, we know we definitely needed a long COVID uh, and chronic fatigue service. That was a, a new service with with new investment, um, and we'll continue to need to respond to the ever changing, evolving world of healthcare and keep appraised of of developments. And I think it is a very fast moving, fast paced. Um, expensive bit of the business um, but actually if we fail to look at what's coming across the horizon around health and care delivery we will continue to um, experience a gap in provision which will then be difficult for us to bridge. Can you see a point where we accept over here that we can't do everything for everyone and actually on a more routine basis send people away and just have that emergency core care here? Um, our commitment as Manx Care um, is to provide as much, um, as many services on island as, as is, is possible. We recognise that um, some patients do need to go off island. What we've always committed to is we must ensure that whatever we do here on the island, we're able to achieve the same standards as what the UK is able to achieve. So, for example, um, the Clatterbridge at Nobles model around oncology provision is taking the standards of um, oncology provision that are delivered at the Clatterbridge uh, Cancer Centre in Liverpool and replicating them here. And that's our way of being able to assure we can deliver those services here, but to the highest possible standard. But inevitably, um, trying to deliver comprehensive health and care across a small island setting has some very unique challenges. And that's the show all in its own, right? Perhaps one for another day. Uh, Colin's been in touch to say, two years ago, I had my gallbladder removed by keyhole surgery. Within three months, I developed a hernia at the operation entry area, which is now getting bigger. Why does it take so long to have this repaired? If I went private, it would be within a week. And again, I think we need to take this offline to understand uh, the individual caller's concerns um, and look, look, you know, why that has taken such a long period of time. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the reality is all of um, our waiting lists are clinically assessed, uh, but we will take that one offline. Uh, John has been in touch to say, don't you think it's about time care home and other carers got a proper wage for the work they do? Gosh, that I think that one is is quite difficult. I mean, obviously, uh, there's a fee-based structure across um, care home settings, and um, care homes that fall under uh, Manx Care are under uh, what we call MPTC terms and conditions. Um, so it it is difficult. You know, we've we've had lots of conversations about how we are able to recruit and retain, and certainly. Uh, the salary being offered to people is is a big part of that. It's something we remain constantly in discussions with our staff side colleagues and also with DHSC and Treasury around how we resolve that issue in a in a, a financially challenged system of of how we can still recruit, retain, uh, and attract staff whilst also not uh, not breaking the budget. And another one, which I'm assuming you're going to say would need to be taken offline, but it's from Alan to say people with heart conditions are having to wait months for a 24-hour monitor to be fitted and may suffer a heart attack or stroke while waiting. Uh, Yes, I think that we would need to look at that 
more specifically, but in general terms, uh, the use of a 24-hour monitor uh, isn't used necessarily as a screening tool for heart uh, for heart attacks uh, and even for strokes. What would normally happen is we would do sort of ECGs and risk stratify the patient. So um, we need to answer that separately, I think. Wonderful. Well, we've gone through all the texts and emails. I really do appreciate your time. Just going to wrap up by going round you one by one and just uh, summing up some of the things that we've been talking about today. And first of all, Dr. Gareth Davis, have I been calling you Davies when it's Davis? Davies. Um, but yes, yeah, we say a lot covered uh, over the past hour and a half or so. Um, how would you sum it up? Yeah, I, I think the biggest message that we would like to deliver to the community is firstly to think about taking ownership of their their own health and thinking about diet and lifestyle and thinking proactively about their health uh, and making sure that they have the right medicines in the house to deal with emergencies and secondly to think about what's out there in the community that is there if you've got a, an urgent or an emergency healthcare need. Dr. Shaku Pan? Um, yes, just to say that uh, my colleagues and I are wedded to the idea of providing safe uh, quality service to our patients. Medicine in particular is the department that um, uh, looks after the biggest number of patients. So we see a wide spectrum of uh, disease conditions and we try to make sure that we give our patients the, the kind of experience that they expect and deserve. And, and, and we go beyond the hospital and try and reach out into the communities because um, you know a lot of the um, uh, disease actually starts in the community and should be looked after in the community. So we wish to work with primary care to deliver care closer to home. Thank you. Will Bellamy. Thank you, Beth. I think the ambulance service is um, certainly now on a, a, a transformational journey, um, making sure that we are you know, able to get the right clinicians. And, and we're not just purely a transport service. You know, As I said during the, the Manning Line, we're putting in new operational um, strategies to try and manage our growing demand. But just I want to just make sure that people re- are reassured that if you need help, our help is just a phone call away and don't delay in calling 909 if you feel that you didn't need an ambulance. And Teresa Cope. Uh, I guess my final closing remarks would just be to absolutely thank all of the staff at Manx Care who have been exceptional over what has been an incredibly dif- difficult and busy period. So um, as ever, Uh, My complete admiration and appreciation is for our staff who do a fantastic job every day.